We live in a world that doesn't always understand grief, but we do. We see you, we hear you, and we're here to talk about grief in the most real of ways, because we have lived with it too. In this podcast, we'll look at ways to integrate grief into a life that is fulfilling and meaningful for you. There'll be no platitudes or silver linings, but there may be the occasional F-bomb. I'm coach John Polo, and my person died. I'm coach Carolyn Gower, and my person died too. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of the My Person Died Too podcast. This week's episode is titled, People Are a Version of Self-Care. Yeah, you know, I'm really excited about this episode, Carolyn. We have a lot to talk about. But before we do, I actually want to go back to the last episode and say something that I didn't say on that episode that after we were done recording, I wish I had said. And that's what I get for doing the last episode on two hours of sleep, right? So the last episode was entitled Anxiety. And towards the end of it, you and I talked a lot about like being present in the moment, right? Trying not to necessarily like live in the past or worry about the future. And while I think that's absolutely true, right? Like everything we said, I believe there's an additional way that sometimes I look at this that I forgot to talk about, which is sometimes thinking about the future can actually help my anxiety. So if you're in a really bad spot, you know, let's say you're just having an incredibly bad grief moment, but maybe you have something coming up to look forward to. Sometimes thinking about that something you have to look forward to can help your anxiety. Or let's say you're just deep in grief, right? And the thought of ever seeing a better tomorrow seems like a complete impossibility to you. And you have no idea how you're going to make it to the next second, let alone the next day. But you have a friend who's a couple years out who has looked you in the eyes and said, I can promise you in time, it will soften. I can promise you in time, you will want to rebuild. I can promise you in time, you will find your smile again. Sometimes it can help our anxiety to actually think about the future. And that's why you and I, Carolyn, are such big believers that we have to zone in on ourselves, right? On our thoughts, our emotions, our hopes, our dreams, our pain, our joy, and things change. And our toolboxes change as well. What works for you right now may not work for you tomorrow. And that's why the more you pay attention to yourself, the more you can quickly adapt to what you need. And Carolyn, if you have anything to add on that, you can, but I'm going to segue here and say, drum roll, please, this walks us right into today's conversation, which is about the people that we surround ourselves with. I absolutely agree with everything you just said, John. And I know myself in early grief, looking at those people that were a bit further out than me really helped me to believe that there was hope for a better future. And now... I guess, you know, I'm doing that for other people just as you are too, John, with um, not only friends but clients and uh, other people that we come in contact with. We're helping them believe that there is some hope for a better future. So on to today's episode. Now, first up, I just want to say something that a lot of people might not realise, 
And that is that the people we surround ourselves with is a version of self-care. Why? Well, have you ever noticed how the people around you have the ability to lift you up and they also have the ability to bring you down? Absolutely. I, I, I do a lot of work with clients on this, as I know you do, and I do a workshop about this. And somebody who has been a widowed person for more than 10 years was on my workshop that I did about this recently. And I said, you know, the people we surround ourselves with is a version of self-care and not only a version of self-care, but one of the absolute most important versions of self-care. And afterwards they emailed me and they said, I never thought about it like that. It's so basic. It's so elementary, but we don't think about it like that. And most people don't live their life with that fact at the forefront of their brain. So I'm going to start off this episode with a really basic analogy, okay? So it's called the two Susies. It's one of my favorite analogies. And a lot of times my analogies are pretty stupid but make perfect sense. This one's just really basic. It makes perfect sense, or at least that's what I tell myself. So let's say you have two people in your life named Susie. You have a friend named Susie and you have a cousin named Susie. Your friend Susie is absolutely awesome and you love spending time with her you meet both of these women once a month for breakfast so on the days you get to meet your friend Susie you wake up and you're kind of in a good mood you're getting ready you're like yeah I get to go to breakfast with Susie this is going to be good you're driving there you know that being in her presence is going to put you in a better mood and when you're there you feel seen heard validated respected if you're grieving, you're able to talk about your pain and the memory of the person that you have lost. You're able to talk about hope and finding your smile again. You laugh. She makes you laugh and you make her laugh. She's nice to the wait staff, right? Everything there is good. You have a good time when you're with your friend Susie. You feel better about yourself the present moment, your future, everything. The worst part about meeting your friend Susie for breakfast once a month is the drive home when you realize that you're not going to see this amazing human for another month. Now you have your cousin Susie, who you really don't like for some very valid reasons, but you just kind of put up with her because of obligation, right? So when you meet your cousin Susie for breakfast every month, you wake up and you're like, ah, oh, fuck, I can't believe I got to meet this human for breakfast, right? So you're getting ready and you're in a bad mood and you're driving there and you're just discouraged the whole time and you get there and you don't feel seen or heard or validated or respected. And if you're grieving, you aren't given the space to talk about your pain or memories of your person. You're not allowed to talk about hope or living again because you're being judged. Maybe she's mean to the waitstaff, which makes you quite uncomfortable. You are doing the exact opposite of laughing or making her laugh. The best part about that day for you is when you get to get the fuck out of there and drive back home. There is a profound difference in the way that you feel about yourself, your pain, your life, everything, depending on which Susie you are around. And that is the most basic elementary example I can give of how people are a version of self-care. 
And don't we all have a version of both of those Susies in our life? Oh, my God. <laughs> Many of them. John, there's a statistic that both you and I are very familiar with, and that is that widowed people can lose up to 70% of their pre-widowed circle. 70%. That's a lot. And we are going to discuss some of the reasons why this might happen in just a moment. But John, I know you've got something to share with us. Yeah, look, before we get to some of the reasons why a grieving human might lose people from their circle, I just want to say that it also doesn't mean a total exit. So I like to use my sister as an example here. So my sister and I were never especially close, never any issues, but just never especially close. Well, then Michelle comes back into my life after seven years apart and they get really close and my sister and I get close for what I would say is the first time in my life. Michelle passes and the relationship kind of has gone back to what it was before, which is not any issues, but we're not close. So while she may not be a part of that 70% number, the fact is that relationship changed and in some ways, because that closeness is not there anymore, it feels like an additional loss. Does that make sense, Carolyn? Absolutely, it does. I can totally relate to that. So now we're going to go through some of the reasons why we might lose people around us, but this is not a complete list. There are other reasons as well. The first one we're going to talk about is that grief makes people feel uncomfortable. Now, I'm a self-confessed grief nerd, so I'm actually more comfortable talking about grief than probably any other topic, right? But I'm aware that outside of my clients and grief friends, most people don't share my passion for discussions around grief and death. In fact, I'll often detect an obvious grimace should the topic come up. Grief does make people very uncomfortable for a number of reasons. But I think the main ones are that they don't know what to say or do. We might be just too much for them. They can seem to think that they could catch it from us. And it also can force them to question their own mortality. Another reason that, you know, the statistic is that widowed people lose so many people in their circle. So we're less likely to get invites Okay, we're less likely to get invites. Maybe people, you know, feel like, oh, you know, the whole third wheel thing or the whole fifth wheel thing or, you know, are they too sad? Would they be up for coming? We're also less likely to go when invited because maybe we don't want to be the third wheel or we don't want to feel like the fifth wheel or maybe we are too sad to go. Right. Or maybe it is too hard to be around another couple, etc. The other thing, though, if we're taking it to another level is. A lot of times as grieving people will be invited early on and we'll be declining, right? We won't go for a bunch of different reasons, some of which I just rattled off. And then people just stop. So you have, you know, declined a bunch of invitations that first year. And now your friend Jeremy just thinks that you no longer want to be invited. You no longer want to go And year two hits and the invites stop, which is another reason that sometimes we lose people. That's so true, John. It seems that all the invites come earlier on 
as people are possibly trying to distract you from your grief or cheer you out of it. But honestly, going out amongst a whole lot of happy people is not a high priority for you at this time. Then after a few no's, people do tend to stop asking you. So by the time you're actually feeling ready to get out in the world again, the invites have completely dried up. So something I usually suggest to clients is to let people know to keep asking. So for instance, you might say something like, I really appreciate the invite and though I'm not feeling up to it right now, I do know that there will be a time when I am. So please keep asking. Yep, absolutely. Do that as well. 100%. That is something that is very, very helpful. Letting people know that you want them to keep inviting you because there will be a time that you are ready to say yes. 100%. So John, the next things we're going to talk about are two things that both you and I really love to work on with our clients and that's self-esteem and self-worth. Yes. Although let me just say real quick, we're going to talk about them in a couple bullet points <laughs> because you know, these are my two favorite things to talk about along with self-sabotage. And we could talk about them for days and days and days. But if you think about it, right, this is another reason that we tend to lose people. But beyond that, beyond that, the people you surround yourself with are going to have an impact on your self-esteem and your self-worth. Now, I know we live in a culture with social media where, you know, you're just supposed to love yourself all the times and you're not supposed to care what anyone thinks. And yes, that's, that's what we should all strive for. But we are still human and people are going to have an impact on how we feel about ourselves, at least to some measure, even, even if it's only for a second before you can brush it off, at least to some measure. And that's another reason it's so unbelievably important who you are surrounding yourself with. I've done a lot of inner work on my self-esteem and self-worth over the years. And Tony was my cheerleader. He was that one person who always made me feel special and valued. So then to be without him and then around people who are making you feel bad for the way that you're grieving or who are not cheering you on, of course, that is going to have a huge personal impact on your self-esteem and self-worth. Absolutely. Look, if you had, you know, a good marriage or a great marriage, they, you know, probably were your biggest cheerleader or, or one of them right? The person who, you know, you got the glance from across the room, you know, the kiss from the, you know, the, the way to go on, you know, the job promotion, the pick me up when you had what you felt like was a bad parenting moment, whatever the case is, you did probably lose your biggest cheerleader. And that alone can take a hit on your self-esteem and self-worth. And then you throw in everything else right? The judgment for the grief, the, you know, the confusion as to who you are now, the secondary loss, all of it can take a huge impact on those things, which I think is, you know, one of the million reasons that you and I love working with clients on that stuff so much, because it's so unbelievably important when you're trying to survive and also when you're trying to start rebuilding and to live again. 
So one of the other reasons that, you know, grieving people might lose people from their circle is because we tend to have less tolerance for other people's shit. So, you know, if you're a widowed person who lost your spouse and then you go to, you know, your sibling's house and they still have their spouse and they're killing each other, you know, because one of them bought the wrong tomatoes for the fucking salad. You don't want to hear it anymore. And sometimes we end up distancing ourselves from that type of nonsense. Oh, yeah. The truth is the death of your person has a way of changing the way that you do view the world, as well as who and what is important to you. We get to the point where other people's bullshit no longer deserves any energy from us. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about is that built-in level of exhaustion. And it's not only just like not wanting to hear it, but, but, but it just pokes at you. It makes you even more exhausted. Because, and the truth is, like, being around other couples, being around families... It can be very hard when you're grieving. If you lost, you know, your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, spouse, love of your life, and you're out and about and you're seeing other happy couples grocery shop, you know, at the summer fest, sit around the table at the holidays. It's not about jealousy. It's not about ill will, but it is a reminder right in your face of what you had and lost. The same thing if you lost a child, right? And you go to the mall and you know, the mom is holding hands with her son. It hurts your human heart. And as far as change, we change, right? We've talked about this, Carolyn, right? We work with clients on this all the time. We change after a truly profound loss. Their love changed our lives our hearts, us, right? And their deaths do the same. So if we change, it only makes sense that the relationships we had prior to their death might also change. Yeah, absolutely. We change. And sometimes we might just simply outgrow some of our friendships. And that kind of leads into our next point. And that is that our healing and our living again can also make people uncomfortable. So just as our pain can feel uncomfortable for others, so too can our healing, our rebuilding, our growth, or the way that we now choose to live our life. It may be very different to what they expect us to do. The same people who judged you for your grief are going to judge you for how you rebuild for how you smile again, once you start smiling again, and for how you choose to live. I mean, I, I see it every single day with grieving friends and clients, and I know you do too, Carolyn. If they are uncomfortable by your grief, they are going to be uncomfortable once you pick yourself up and start the process of rebuilding and they are certainly going to be uncomfortable once you start smiling again and living again. And that's why it's oh so important that you empower yourself to grieve the way that you want to grieve and then 
to live the way that you want to live. Absolutely. Carolyn, I want to segue a little bit here. So every single time I'm speaking at a conference or I'm hosting a workshop, and I don't ask this question every single time, but when I do, when I say by a show of hands, tell me if you have been surprised by the people who you thought would be there for you and weren't. And I'm telling you, if it's not 100% of the hands that go up, it's at least 99%, right? Every hand goes up. And then my next question is, by a show of hands, how many of you have also been surprised by people who came out of the woodwork, who you never would have expected to be there for you in any way, shape, or form? Or maybe you didn't even know right? That they were living, breathing humans, but you met them and they support you and they cheer you on. And again, if it's not a hundred percent of the hands, it's at least 99% of those hands go up. Yes to both of those, John. Look, personally, I've experienced exactly the same thing, but also with my clients, I would have to agree. It's pretty much all of them have said the same thing as well, that the people that they expected to be there for them have disappeared. And the people that they didn't expect to be there for them only knew a little bit have really shown up and supported them through their grief. And I actually just got off a call this morning with a client and she was sharing with me how her spouse's employer and colleagues have been really, really supportive for her and her family. And it was something that she didn't really expect. She didn't know them all that well, but they have been so supportive to them all during this hardest time of their life. Yeah, and, and that's fantastic, right? And that's what we want. We want to hear stories like that. There is unfortunately another side to that, which sometimes the people you had in your life that you met through your spouse tend to drift away just because your spouse is no longer there. And it can also be your work colleagues that disappear from your life. So you might've been working and had some really good friendships at your workplace, but then you're unable to work anymore, whether it was from having to take time off to be a carer for your person or just not being able to work because of the circumstances. And then all of a sudden you've lost contact with those people who you might have expected to always show up for you. So, you know, Carolyn, you've heard this before, but I lost more than 70% of my circle. I have to be honest, after Michelle passed, I've said this before on this podcast, like my life was just rubble in every single way. And, you know, I wish I could say that as a 31-year-old man, that was the first time that I felt like I had nobody in my life, but, but that's not true. So I won't get into the whole story here. People have to take my workshops and hear me on a more personal level to hear my more personal story. But basically at the age of 12, I started going through some shit and that shit caused me to withdraw from the entire world. Where, you know, I had a bunch of friends, happy-go-lucky kid, withdrew from the entire world and stopped talking to everybody. 
Well, I can remember being 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, literally sobbing on the floor because I had no friends. And then you fast forward nearly two decades later and ooh, this feels like a eerily similar place as a 31-year-old man grieving my wife, feeling completely alone in the world, dealing with all the secondary loss that came from it. And for the first, I would say, 15 months, I felt like I had nobody. And if I'm being honest, when I was around my family, I would feel worse. So really, like I felt like I had nobody. And about 15 months in, I had some people start adding me to widowed groups. At this point, I had like my my Facebook page about grief and some people were messaging me and saying, oh, you should go in these widowed groups on Facebook. And I'm like, what are you, widowed groups on Facebook? What is that, right? But they would add me. And I started making connections in these groups. And a couple months later, I went to Camp Widow and I won't tell the whole story because I've told it before on this podcast, but I went to Camp Widow and I met a lot of these people. And for the first time since Michelle passed, 18 months in, I felt like I had community again. I was around three, 400 people. I felt seen, I felt heard, I felt validated, I felt respected. On that trip, I started to not only see some of the old me come back, but I started to see the new me be born. A new me that I really liked on that trip, I was funny again for the first time since Michelle was diagnosed with cancer. I remember like it, it was a startling moment. I was like, what the fuck? Like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm funny again. What is happening? You know, when I look back at that trip and I think about everything, I think about something I've said before on this podcast. I say it all the time with my coaching and I'm going to say it for the rest of my life. That was the moment that I started paying attention, very close attention to who I was around when I felt better and who I was around when I felt worse. What I was doing when I felt better and what I was doing when I felt worse. Where I was at when I felt better and where I was at when I felt worse. That trip made it crystal clear in my head that the people we surround ourselves with are a version of self-care because there were moments, there still are moments where I can be around certain people and, and, and it takes a hit on my self-esteem or my self-worth. I feel all alone in a crowded room. I feel judged. I feel like these people are not cheering me on after the worst fucking thing has ever happened to me. And then there are the other moments where I feel better being in a certain human's presence. I feel hopeful, I feel funny, I feel seen, I feel all this stuff. And not having that for the first 18 months and those first 18 months taking me back to my youth where I also didn't have it and then finding it, ooh, Carolyn, it was life-changing. Yes, yes, I can relate to that so much. And for a while, I just felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. Like 
like, who was I? Where did I fit in with these friendship groups that Tony and I had had? And it's so hard when you either lose contact with people who were very special in yours and your person's life or if the relationship with them completely changes. And there were a lot of Tony and my couple's friends who I did lose contact with and I still believe they're all great people and I know they're missing Tony terribly too. I also know if I was to ask them for help, they would do anything for me. But just as I've lost those people in my life, as you've said, John, I've also met some of the most truly beautiful people as well, both in person and online. And I am amazed every day at the deep connection and friendship that you can have with people that you may never have met in real life. And I must just mention you too, John. I mean, who would have thought that first time we spoke that we'd be doing a <laughs> podcast, writing a book and all the other stuff we have planned together. But besides all that, it's also a friendship that I really value. Look, if you are a grieving human and your social circle has taken a hit since your loss, the truth of the matter is the thought of having to rebuild your social circle can be completely overwhelming. And again, fuck, I was feeling that at 12 years old <laughs> and then again at 31, right? So I've had to do this multiple times in my life and it can be completely overwhelming. But that's why I always tell people, you know, you're one or two good new friends away from a completely different life. For those of you that might have lost, you know, your person romantically and you want to find love again, you're one love interest away from a completely different life. You're one grief group away from finally feeling seen. You're one, you know, cooking class away, right? From finally feeling like you're a part of a community again. You're one person away from finally feeling like, oh my God, I'm laughing again. This human is making me laugh. So if you do have to rebuild your social circle entirely or just a little bit, while it can seem so unbelievably overwhelming, we're actually just a couple people away from feeling like life is getting full again. That's 100% true, John. Look, you know, Michelle was the one person who completely changed your life. Tony was the one person that completely changed mine. So we all can be just one person away. But the other part of it is that not every friend needs to be our best friend. And not every friend has to be able to completely support us in our grief. And I know I've said this before on here, that we can have friends for different reasons. So sometimes we might have a friend that is really shit at supporting us in our grief. They might say all the wrong things, but we do know that they are a good friend otherwise. So you may have friends that are great company to go out for a coffee with or for lunch or go to the movies or just to have a talk with. They really support you and lift you up in other ways. So keep that in mind. Just because they can't give you everything you need in your grief, they can still be a valuable addition to your life. 
I 100% agree. And I think that that sometimes, not for everyone, right? Not for everyone. But for some people, it's harder to wrap your mind around that early on, where I think a little bit further out, it becomes easier to wrap your mind around that. And the truth is, I have my friends, I have my people that I know, not only like get my grief, but I can share with them, right? And then I have friends that I can't, you know, I, I moved into this building in July of 2020. And there were a couple single people I met, but most of the people were divorced. And when I would talk about my late wife, Michelle, and you know, what an amazing marriage we have and how much I loved her, they looked at me like I had three motherfucking heads, right? <laughs> like, it, it was like a foreign thing to them, it became very apparent to me that I could still hang out with these people. I could still have fun with these people. I could still call them, you know, acquaintances, buddies, friends, but these weren't going to be people that I could be kind of like, hmm, I could, if I wanted, I could talk about my grief, but it just became pointless. So, so I didn't, and they, they became my friend in a different way. Right now, you and I both know Carolyn, like there's a difference between kind of recognizing that somebody doesn't really know how to support us. They don't really get it. They look at us like we have three heads because, you know, maybe they're divorced and they hate their ex and we love our spouse, you know, and somebody who disrespects our pain or makes us feel bad about grief, right? These are different things. So I'm 100, I just, that was a big ramble. Hopefully that made sense, but I'm 100% with you that not every friend needs to be our best friend. People who are, you know, our acquaintance, our once a month coffee buddy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, can still bring a lot into our lives. I think that sometimes, though, what we have been through has created a depth to a lot of us. And that depth, while I would give it back in a nanosecond, right, I can't, I can't change what happened. And it makes it harder for us to relate to people that don't share that depth. It's one of the reasons that a lot of us don't like small talk anymore and can't do small talk anymore. Do you feel me on that one, Carolyn? <laughs> Absolutely. Like there's nothing more I love than getting into a good, deep conversation. I find it really, really hard to talk about the weather anymore. Give me the deep, meaningful conversations anytime. And as we've said, I do choose the people who I share those conversations with because they're not for every friendship. But in saying that, you know, there is a place for those silly conversations where you just sit with a friend and talk shit and have a really good laugh. They're important as well. And there's just one more thing I want to say here before we start to look at boundaries a little bit. So, you know, I talk about friendships the same way that I talk about romantic relationships in that someone has to ask the other person out, right? Like if you're out there and you, you, you know that you need to kind of like recreate your social circle, add more people into your life, or if you have people in your life and you'd like to be closer with them, you want to foster a closer relationship. Somebody has to take that first step. Okay, John, let's talk about another important topic, 
boundaries. You know, I've always been a people pleaser, but widowhood has changed that. All the judgments, the unsolicited advice, the toxic positivity, just the way some people, well, actually a lot of people, treat grievers has been a real eye-opener to me. And it has taken a bit of practice, but I'm now much more confident in setting boundaries with people. And like you, it's something that I love to help clients with because it can be life-changing. It's another one of those things that's so important to our self-care. Okay, Carolyn, before I address what you just said, I'm going to go on my little rant here, <laughs> which is, doesn't have any place in the podcast, but I have to rant. It's I know I've said this before, but it's so hard to do these podcasts because it, it Every single thing we talk about, I want to talk about it for 14 hours. <laughs> and, and we have, you know, two minutes, right, to get to give our bullet point thoughts. So I love it, but it's hard. Would you agree? Do you find that it, like it's it's difficult to, to only talk about these topics for a snapshot when, when I want to just keep going on about it? Because there's so much here and they're so important. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to choose just a little bit that we can share in this format. All right. I'm done. I'm done with my John Polo rant. I'll shut up now. So let's go back to boundaries. So, you know, look, I think that, again, relationships tend to change. And it's not only, you know, relationships that grow not so close. You can have people in your life that you get closer to after your loss, 100%. But when we look at boundaries, the truth of the matter is, is that there are going to be people that you need to put boundaries up with. And there are also going to be people that you need to remove from your life entirely. One of my favorite examples of a boundary is this. Let's say you have uh, your sibling, okay? And they say something about your loss or your grief that either you know activates your grief pokes at your pain doesn't validate you whatever it is and they constantly say this one thing a really clear boundary is to look them in the eye and say look when you say this this is how it makes me feel this is the language i'm more comfortable with if that's the only real issue right? Or if they just don't know how to support you and you can give them some guidance on how to support you or what to say or what not to say, that's a boundary that you're making that can make the relationship better. I'm a big believer that when we're grieving, we oftentimes don't know what we want or need, right? So how are other people supposed to know? But that being said, once you give them that guidance or once you draw that boundary if they don't take it to heart if they don't listen you can't keep begging them to be there for you you can't keep begging them to respect you and that's where the sometimes we have to put real distance up or entirely remove people from our lives Absolutely, 100% true. It's so important. And, you know, it does always amuse me how other people become experts in our grief, even though it's something that they've never experienced before personally. 
everyone can have an opinion on how you should be grieving. And John, there's a saying here in Australia, I don't know if you guys say it or not, but it's opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. Oh, we say that here. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. There's something that Brene Brown suggests to do that has really resonated with me, and it's called the square squad. So what she suggests is to take a piece of paper that is one inch by one inch square, which is really pretty small, and then you write down the names of all the people whose opinions really matter to you. So as you can guess, there's not a whole lot of names that you can fit on there. So it might be four names. If you write really small, it could be eight names. So carry that with you, whether it's in your purse, in your pocket. And remember that, pull it out. If someone gives you an opinion that is really hurtful and is making you feel really bad, whip out that piece of paper and look. If their name's not on there, disregard it. We don't need to put up with bullshit from other people who don't matter to us. Carolyn, look, it goes back to something I've said before, right? Which is, yeah, we all want to be supported. But above all else, just respect our pain. You don't have to understand it. Just respect our pain. Above all else, don't make our life more difficult than it already is. People are a version of self-care. It is an absolute truth. It's a truth that you and I both coach and teach. It's a truth that once you make it a truth in your head and you start to live your life that way, with that knowledge at the forefront of your brain, your life will, maybe not immediately, but over time, become better. People are a version of self-care. Thank you for listening to the My Person Died To podcast. For full information on our books, coaching services and other offerings, visit our websites, carolyngowercoaching.com.au and johnpolocoaching.com. Remember to rate, review and subscribe. And if you found this podcast helpful, please spread the word so that we're able to support more people through grief.